And a welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Happy to be here with you every single Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, where sports truly meets that thing called life. We appreciate you being here with us. As you can see behind me, we are in Greensboro, North Carolina, and we are broadcasting live all week from here. We're going to be giving you an extra bonus day of broadcast this Saturday. So we'll be with you all throughout the week, normal scheduled time, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. And on Saturday, we'll also be with you on March 11th. As we are down here covering the ACC tournament, 15 schools in five days. And on top of that, I am keeping an eye and a pulse on what's going on with conference tournaments all around the country as we look for the automatic bids to punch their tickets to the NCAA tournament and a lot of great stuff coming up, including our bracket challenge here on Wake Up Call. Inside of these Cafe Kubal studios, I implore you to head over to 3501 James Street, 324 West Water Street, 401 South Salina Street in Syracuse, as well as by going to the corner of Route 11 and Taft Road at Sweetheart Corners in North Syracuse for their drive through location and to 343 Fayette Street in Manlius. Inside of monpazpopcorn.com is what's popping. You know that every other Tuesday bi-monthly we have Christie's Corner featuring the International Boxing Hall of Famer Christy Salters Martin. We have a great conversation coming up, proudly presented exclusively by PB&J's Lunchbox on 663 Old Liverpool Road in Liverpool, New York. And Pat Orr, the owner of PB&J's, will be joining us, as she always does, to give her thoughts and her take as well. And then... Later on in hour number one at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time, I'll be joined by Chris Joseph, Syracuse Orange basketball alum. You know, for tourney time talk, I do it every single tournament time when it comes to Syracuse win or lose during tournament week, championship week. I have tourney time talk for many years with the Syracuse Orange basketball alumni. Chris Joseph is going to start off our week this season, and he'll be joining me to give his take on Bayheim and so much more, including the current state of Syracuse. And then Dennis Duvall will join us at 10.30 a.m. Eastern time to give his take on the Orange, his take on Jim Bayheim, and to speak on the guys that just had their jerseys retired, Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick, as Dennis Duvall's jersey is also hanging from the rafters at the Dome in Syracuse, New York. And we'll round out the show with the ingredients to success, proudly presented by the wonderful people at Avicoli's on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road in Liverpool, New York. You are tuning in live every Monday through Friday, as I said, on YouTube.com, Facebook.com, both backslash DT. We're also on wakeupcalldt.podbean.com this morning. Podbean going out worldwide for the first time ever as we share that history with Christy Salters Martin and all of you. And of course, we're on wakeupcalldt.com. So with that being said, let's bring in Christy Salters Martin for Christy's Corner here exclusively on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Christy, how are you? I'm well. How are you this morning, Dan? I'm doing very well, Christy. And and we have a lot of stuff to get into, a lot of things to talk about. I know that uh, Kansas Hope House, uh, the event that you just had, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and I know you wanted to talk about it. So let's jump in right there and get your thoughts on it. We had a great event Saturday night in Kansas City. Um, the Kansas, we, we brought together, Christy's champs brought together the Hope House in Kansas City that is domestic violence shelter, and they have many, many different um, programs there for survivors and, and their families. But what we did, we married that with my other passion, boxing, the amateur boxing. So Kansas City Golden Gloves team came together. We put on six spectacular bouts and 
just very, everybody started to understand why domestic violence awareness and amateur boxing programs can really benefit each other. And it, it was just a great night. We were at the Uptown Theater. Um, Cam Awesome was the commentator. He, you know, a great amateur boxer himself uh, back in the day. And um, as I said, it was just an all around great, great event. Lots of good bouts and um, met, met a lot of really interesting people. And, and the great thing about for me being at those events, uh, usually somebody will get me over to the side and, and share their story with me. And, and I feel I feel blessed that someone will trust me enough to open up and say, this is what did happen to me. This is what is happening to me. And, and I want to always be there and, and give them whatever strength, whatever support that I can, but to also put them in the direction of a place like the Hope House, because I know at that point they're in good hands. Yeah. You know, and like you said, bonding two things that you're passionate about, two things that are important to you in, in speaking of domestic abuse, domestic violence, and at the same time, boxing. To marry those two together, people wouldn't always think, you know, Hope House and boxing could find a way to fit together and to be able to be interwoven. How did you find a way to tie them together? Well, that, that was the first thing actually they asked me to talk about on Saturday night was how I was able to join the, the two together. And Mary, uh, Mary Ann, she is the person that, that runs Hope House. So when I first said to her, let's do amateur boxing and, and raise money for, for both, both, um, both groups. And she was like, mm, Christy, I just don't know. How does boxing and domestic violence, how do they go together? And I started to explain to her about the, the dynamics of a boxing gym yeah. and how important it is that if we want to break the cycle, these are the, these are the young people, boys and girls that we need to reach out to. And, and as I talked to her and I even asked her, I said, look, if you have the opportunity to just stop into a boxing gym, you'll understand what I'm talking about because boxing gyms are families. The coach, you, you know, they're always holding the, the, uh, boxers accountable. Like, are you going to school? Are you, showing respect to your parents? Are you, you know, what are your grades? Not yeah. just, are you going to school? Are you, are you passing your classes? Um, so it, it really becomes a place where you can feel that you're loved. And some people at home don't always have that same feeling that they actually have love and support. So boxing gyms become families. And therefore it just makes sense to me that domestic violence awareness and boxing easily go together. Yeah, you talk about, you know, some people don't have family, so boxing, going there and, and being a part of wherever people are, you know, when you go to the ring that they feel like they have a family, they have somebody that's taking care of them, somebody that cares about them, someone that's keeping them off the street, some of them that's maybe keeping them from going back home because home's not great. How does the ring become a place, a, a sanctuary, so to speak, even though it, it is, you know, obviously a, a violent sport how can the ring become a place where you can really feel safe and feel whole again well there are rules and and to me boxing in in the gym and in the ring that was my safe place and i feel like that i can through my life story and my my experiences i can share that with other people and and let them know that it can also be their safe place and it can be you never have to go in there and compete if you yeah. just go into a boxing gym and do the workout, and as you become more physically fit, you also become more mentally fit and more mentally strong. 
Um, I always tell the story of if somebody sees their, their predator and they're out there looking at two different people and one's walking down the street, shoulders slumped over, head down, and the other is walking with shoulders back and head up high, yeah. they're not going to pick on that person. They're going to pick on that person that they see as weak. Yeah. And so through the boxing gym, that's what you, you started to just build confidence. It's self-confidence. And it, it has nothing to do with physical confrontations or actually fighting. It's just about the self-awareness and self-confidence that boxing can bring. You know, and I love that and I appreciate that. And I applaud the fact that, uh, you know, you pay it forward. And there's so many different things we're going to talk about today in Christie's Corner with Christy Salters Martin, proudly presented exclusively by PB&J's Lunchbox here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. At Christy, you have been a beacon of hope for so many people and you've given people the, the reality that you can move forward, you can get out, you can get better. What does it mean to you sitting here today? Not only that you're alive, but that because of you, potentially somebody else is alive as well. You know, of all the uh, accomplishments and, and trophies and belts and stuff that you can get in your life, what means the most is that I am a survivor, but that I have helped other people. And as you said, given them strength, I mean, that that's some heavy stuff when when somebody can come to you or comes to you or sends me messages through social media that because of watching the netflix documentary because of reading the book or just hearing my story with us here yeah. that um it's changed their their world and maybe given them the strength to leave the situation that they're in or or to reach out now they know there are people that they can reach out to um it that's heavy and but i'm proud I'm very, very proud. That coming here from Christy Salters Martin and appreciate everything that we get to talk about. There's a lot of amazing pieces of today. And I do want to welcome Pat Orr into the building because she's here with us. So Pat, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Happy to have you here. So Pat's here with us today, and uh, she she comes in. Uh, Pat, the owner of PB&J's Lunchbox, which Christie's Corner is exclusively brought to you by. So she is going to be here with us asking some questions as we go and as, you know, different pieces come in. But Christy, I did want to get to a few things that are going on. I, I know you wanted to talk about David Benavidez and uh, Caleb Plant, their fight that's coming up. So I know that that was important to you. So I'd love to head there next to get your thoughts on it. I just say for boxing, it's a great, great fight. And so many times, so many weeks pass that everybody wants to talk about there's a fight, there's a fight. But this is a meaningful fight. This is a the big fight. And, uh, you know, I think Caleb Plant's a good fighter. But I think Benavitez is, um, he's just built differently. I mean, to me, I, I don't ever think that Canelo will fight him. I, it's too risky. Um I really like him. This is a guy that I think brings a big, big shock back to boxing. People, the boxing fans, you know, they're paying to see people get knocked out. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't really want to see people just box. And you know, Whitaker was great at what he did. Uh, Floyd was great at what he did. But the fight fans still want to, they want to see Mike Tyson. They want to see people get knocked out. And so this is what I think Benavidez brings to the, to the ring. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm definitely looking forward to what's coming up. And and we have something here, and I'm sure Pat will have some thoughts on this, but you're going to be, you're working with Don King once again. And I would love... 
for you to share what's going on with Don King. You know, I'm just, I'm happy to be joined back with Don King Productions. Um, Don King is the best promoter that's, that's ever done it. I, um, I'm excited. I was with him on Wednesday. I sat with him for three or four hours and we just got the game plan together of how we're going to attack the next year. And, you know, Don King Productions will be doing a fight every, every quarter. And, um, you know, Trevor Bryant had a title. He wants to come back and, and uh, redeem himself. He had a very poor showing uh, when he had the big shot, but I think he understands. And now he wants to try to get back to there again, to that point. Um, we have, Ian Green, he is a middleweight that people, if you do not know who Ian Green is, look up his last fight on YouTube. That was the fight of the decade candidate. I mean, it's too bad that it wasn't out there on uh, like so Showtime or some kind of pay-per-view, Fox, that so a lot of people would have seen it because this this man brought it. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan. I told him after the fight that night he, he has a new fan in his corner. So I'm excited about what he's going to bring. To, to the boxing world um, as we go through this next year. Yeah, definitely excited about it and to see what, what's going to be coming here from you and Don King together again, which I know to a lot of people is music to their ears. Pat, what do you think about the fact that Christy's going to be back with Don King again? Uh, I think as long as Christy's in boxing and doing what she does best, it's going to be it's going to be good for boxing. Um, Don King needs to, to keep the action going, and I think Christy's the one that can do it for him. Yeah, you know, when you when you hear Chris, I mean, you shot a bunch of different things, Pat, and, you know, uh, photography-wise, you've gotten to see a lot of things through your lens. Uh, when you when you think about Don King and you think about Christy and their ability to both promote, because not just Don King, but also what Christy has done with her company as well, what should people know about an event that has Christy and Don behind it? Uh, usually it means it's going to be a lot of action. <laughs> Um, good fights and a lot of fights. I know whenever I went to Don King fights, there were so many fights on the card, um, and, and they never disappointed. Um, you know, there may have been one fight that, that ended in a surprise upset or something like that, but there was always action and there were always big names on the cards and the up and coming ones ended up being big names. So it was always exciting to go to Don King, Don King fights and stuff, you know, in Vegas, uh, I went to several of them and, uh, you know, from the press conferences, the weigh-ins up to the fights, um, there was always action, always people around, a lot of celebrities. Uh, it was, it was good for boxing. You know, and Christy, for you, I mean, Don, uh, as you had mentioned before, you know, he, he was there and, and gave an opportunity to you and, and helped you with your career. Uh, what do you want to say back to him? To, and you may have said it to him yourself already, but, what would you want to say to him about his part in everything you've done? Oh, I think, you know, so many people want to talk about my fight with Gorgity that, that, that really changed the world of women's boxing, but really what changed the world of women's boxing was Don King given, given us the opportunity because no other promoter at that time, no other, no other promoter was putting women fights on. And then to put a woman fight on a Tyson card, a pay-per-view card. Um, it was a, it was a great opportunity and, and people forget that, you know, a lot of people always want to say something negative about Don King, but he's done a lot of positive and he's put together some of the biggest and best fights for 30 years, 40 years. Um, and he'll Absolutely. continue to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, and, and, you know, he is larger than life. 
So, you know, when, when you see him and, and the way that he goes about everything, I mean, he's an entertainer at Christy. Can you speak to that? I mean, who is he behind the scenes as opposed to in front? Is he larger than life all the time? Or does he kind of just like mellow out when he's away from the camera? How would you describe Don King? Well, I think in front of the camera, Don King is definitely, um, uh, can hype up any, any fight or any situation. He sell, can sell it. He's a great promoter. Um, but, but when it's sitting across the table, business, it's, it's business. It's a different, a different conversation, a different voice, um, a different laugh even. Um, so he's a, he's a great guy really to work with. And it's, it's just too bad that so many people have so much negative that they want to put out there about him. And it's the people that are spewing so much negativity that have never worked with him a day in their life. They, they wouldn't, they don't even know who he, know him personally. So, um, you know, it's just too bad, but, we're going to we're going to do a lot of fun things this year, exciting things, bring some bring some real big bang back to the boxing world. I think we need to break the internet and put Don King on here with you. I think we <laughs> You know what? We we can try. <laughs> like, the only problem is he doesn't usually get up until like noon. <laughs> so we're we're, we're going to have to do He stays up really really late at night and then he's like yeah. noon before he gets up moving well i stay up really late at night and so does pat Orr, but we still get up really <laughs> early so you know I, I don't know if you know this christy but uh pat is uh she's a fan of sports obviously but she's a fan of syracuse basketball and <laughs> a game will end at like let's say 10 17 p.m and i won't get anything because well, no, panel panel text me like the last few minutes of the game i'll get a message or two and then there's an hour or two lull, and at midnight, she's in it, just texting me long things about what's going on with the team and why is this, and she'll ask a question, but it's rhetorical because she has thoughts. Hey, has she done that with you before where it's like, okay, something ends, and she's like, okay, these are my thoughts initially. Then she goes home. She has a sandwich, probably from PB&Js. She <laughs> takes some time with it, and after she has that you know, buffalo chicken uh, grilled cheese, she is in it two hours later. Have you experienced Pador giving you kind of like that little break period and then hitting you with all that knowledge? No, not really. But <laughs> Pat also knows that I go to bed like crazy early and get up with the chickens. Right. So, um, you know, she knows if, even if she texts me something late, my phone's off. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer her like when I get up with the chickens at six o'clock in the morning and she's still sleeping. So, um yeah, but I mean, we have some really good conversations. Some sometimes we actually just talked about uh, Syracuse basketball and, and uh, Jim Beheim. And you know, when you're you're a winner, you're a winner. You've done nothing but win, and maybe you don't have that same kind of season. You know, all, all the haters want to come out on you. So we did talk about that recently. Well, I'm gonna let Pat have a moment in here because I I posted something yesterday. I posted it early. I was flying down to uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, where we're live all week, Wake Up Call OTR, which is a wake up call on the road. And so we, in in the morning, I said, you know what, there's some things I have to say about Jim Beheim, and I need to just get it out. So I got these words out and they have been taken up by many people around the world. So I'd love to get Pat's thoughts and Christy, you can weigh in as well. Cause like you said, when you're, you know what it's like, right? When you're winning, you're winning in, in any sport. And when you're not, people have a different opinion of you. And then when you start winning again, it changes right back. So I, I put up a lot of different things. But uh, the one thing I want to get to here is 
something that I said, I think I said it to Pat this past week, which is the reality is Jim Beheim is a prisoner of his own success. He created the standard for Syracuse men's basketball, which in my opinion is 20 plus wins and a sweet 16 or bust every year. If he doesn't get the team there, he's a failure to some because he didn't hit the level that he created. But the thing is, where would Syracuse be without that? Would they have known that level? How would Syracuse fans define, quote unquote, a good season without Jim Beheim? Pat, I love your thoughts. <laughs> My thoughts. Um, I think Jim Beheim has done incredible things for the city of Syracuse, let alone Syracuse University. Um, his charitable work and stuff is amazing. But the basketball teams that he has put on the floor and the players that have brought 20 wins a year. You know, we as fans got so used to 20 wins a year that, you know, it's a necessity now that he can't reach. Um, this year he had a lot of young players on the team and, and he, he rode the wave with them, you know, the ups and the downs. Um, you know, people complain about the zone that he doesn't, you know, it's, it's a, it's not a good defense for, for NCAA basketball. Well, it's been a good defense for a lot of years, but there's better shooters out there now. Yeah. You know, if you look back in the nineties, the you know, the shooters weren't like they are now. Um, these guys are like, you know, bionic biceps or something. I don't know how they, how some of them come in and make 18 three pointers against SU and we can't, we can't stop one of them, you know? Um, but I think that he's, he's going to have to make a decision soon so that he goes out on top instead of going out as, as being like, you know, a bad coach. Cause he's not a bad coach. He's a great coach and he's done remarkable things with players with limited ability. Um, he lets players grow. He lets them, them, you know, go off the, off the chain sometimes, but, um, he's not, he's not getting any respect right now and he's not going to unless he gets back to the 20 wins and gets to the NCAA tournament. Um, Syracuse doesn't accept not being in the NCAA tournament because it's a whole new season and they, they expect him to be there and they expect us to have a chance. It's kind of sad what's going on right now because the ones that are, that are hating it's um, they're bandwagoners. Yeah. You know, when he's good, he's great. And when, they're not so good. He sucks, and he needs to go. Well, you know, and the, the thing about that is, and as I said, he's a prisoner of his own success. Uh, the people that love Syracuse basketball love Syracuse basketball. Uh, see, seeing them in the tournament, seeing them get to the—I mean, how many coaches bring a team to the Final Four in multiple decades, and on time once, let alone in multiple decades, showing that his message continued to get through. And his plan that he had has continued to work with players throughout time. You have a championship in there, 1,100 wins. And I did some research on uh, Mr. Jim Beheim as well as the other coaches in the world. There's only one coach that had never had a losing season of the names that a lot of people know, and that's UCLA's John Wooden. Of the coaches that have had one losing season or less, Dean Smith and Jim Beheim. Coaches that have had – Coach K has had four losing seasons. Jay Wright has had five. Granted, some of them you know, were at Hofstra before he got to Villanova. But Jim Beheim, nobody has won as many games as he has won in one school. He's the only one to do it at one school. He's behind only Coach K. And to do what he's done for as long as he's done, he put Syracuse on the map. 
I know the Jim Beheim's a big part of the fact that I can't go anywhere wearing a Syracuse anything without somebody going, yo, Cuse is in the house. So, you know, I appreciate that. And, uh, and, you know, Christy, I'd love to get your thoughts on it because you know what it's like to be in the ring, right? And maybe people like you, you've talked about it before. There's fights where people want you to win. There's fights where people don't want you to win. And they're booing for, you know, booing you coming in. And and then when you're going out, all of a sudden they're a Christy Martin fan. So how do you, how do, how do you deal with walking into an arena with booze galore and then walk out and people going, I knew you could do it. I, you know, I, I was rooting for you from the beginning. Right. That's so, that's so true. Um, yeah. First of all, I, I am a Syracuse fan, box, um, basketball fan since Derek Coleman days. So um, yeah, what Jim Beheim does has done up there is um, remarkable. And he's a boxing fan. Um, he was the uh, grand marshal for the boxing induction um, hall of fame parade one year. So yeah. that was cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think the biggest Thing that that or biggest time that that happened to me it was I walked into Madison Square Garden with the place going crazy for me. Oh, Christy, Christy, Christy! <laughs> and then Isra Gergra uh, fought a great fight. I knocked her down, but I, I still won the fight very convincingly. Uh, but I was booed at the end because she was tough enough and durable enough to take it. Um, so yeah, the fans will turn on you in a heartbeat, and I mean it's just part of part of sports. You decide to be an athlete. Uh, that's what's going to happen. And it's a sad thing. You know, I always said with my personal team, we won, but I lost. And um, that's definitely the way it, it feels. I'm sure for Jim Beheim right now. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm down here in Greensboro to see him get after it again and to do what he can do. I mean, there's already people, it's funny. Somebody messaged me a fan of the team and he said, here's my list of coaches that that can take over and i said take over what and he said for syracuse i said are you trying to push the man out the building he didn't quit yet he didn't he didn't leave yet so you know i mean but there's always that conversation and and i have a good relationship with jim we've had a good relationship for over a decade and from the time i came back to syracuse i've sat in his office just me and him and and i feel like he's misunderstood and at the same time and you can also attest to this christy when you're around the media long enough and please understand it's not just athletes and coaches it's people that are in the media i have to sit with them in a room and you have to sit with them in a room we know that the majority of that room are vultures just waiting for someone to look a little bit dead so they can start biting on them so you know with all due respect to jim Beheim, i know that he doesn't have the best bedside manner that some people might want but at the same time, I've been in that room for over a decade with him, listening and seeing how people talk to them, seeing them, seeing him, people smirk after asking him a question and the articles that they've written about him after. So I can understand to a certain extent why Jim Beheim is not the biggest fan of the media. And I can understand why some coaches and athletes aren't either, because telling the truth in the media is a lost art. I consider that to be my paintbrush. But I know that not everybody lives that way. And Christy, I'm sure you know that as well. Oh, it's very hard because as you, especially with print writers, you know, you can say one thing, but they can write something else. Um, yeah. One of the things with doing interviews, I like to do live because you can't edit it. And and I may say something that <laughs> afterwards, I'm like, oh, shit, I should have said that. But at least I said it, 
no one, no one changed my words around. No one switched it around. No one made it sound like I said this when I was really talking about something else. Um, so yeah, live is the best, and and it is hard talking with print print reporters, especially because they will, sorry, you know, misconstrue <laughs> what what you said, and and oh, yeah. just one more word can change the whole meaning of of your paragraph. So yeah, it's it's, it's, it's dangerous. Like, for you have a to... reason. <laughs> She said, she said it's called sound bites for a reason. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah, yeah no, I, I definitely agree. And that was a shameless plug for Christie's Corner because you said live is the best and we are live every other Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern time exclusive on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Christie's Corner bi-monthly every other Tuesday with the champ, Christy Salters Martin. Uh, Christy, before we get into rapid fire with Pat here, I know you wanted to talk about a few different things. Uh, one thing we didn't get to talk about the last episode that we did with this being episode three is that you are going to be in a movie correct well it's kind of like a bio pic documentary yeah. uh filmed about in west virginia so i'll be going back home in a couple of weeks to film uh, and now i don't have to go far it's about a boxer this is the only stretch that i'm a mother of this fighter yeah. uh, but i was a successful world champion boxer he struggled trying to be a boxer, but not quite making it. Now he has a son that's that's a good boxer, so he's kind of caught in the middle of his mother being successful, his son on the right track, and and yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, I get to be the trainer. I, I'm a West Virginian, a trainer, a boxer, so I really get to go play me. But I'll get to spend some time back home with my family, and, and that'll be cool. So you are. What are you gonna say, Pat? Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. No, I thought I thought you said something here. What I was going to say is, you know, this, like you said, you get to go home and you get to play you. You get to be around your family, Christy. Uh, th I'm already excited to see it based on what you said, right? You're successful. You have a son who hasn't been as successful in it. And now you have a grandson who is successful. So like you said, the story of being caught in between while the family has had it and you're like, okay, did it skip a generation? What's going on? And, and how is he going to deal with his son's success, his mother's success, but then trying to find himself through it all. And I'm sure you're both going to guide him there. So I am, I'm really excited to, uh, heck, if I had the opportunity, I would have written this one. So I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's cool. We're actually going to film um, by around the Tough Man contest, an actual Tough Man contest happening in Beckley, West Virginia. So Jerry Thomas, who's promoted me when I started in Tough Man, He'll be promoting the, uh, the event that we're going to be fil we'll film at. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be cool. Back home, get to see my my family, my friends, and uh, then get to just kind of play me. So it's not a stretch, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> no, I'm very I'm very excited to see it. And right before Rapid Fire, uh, Golden Gloves VR, we talked about this the last show. And Christy, this, this virtual reality game where you can become the boxer has really blown up. And you and I were talking off the air about the fact that it's getting picked up in different places. There's a lot of things going on with it. You're one of the commentators that people can hear while they're boxing and playing in these fights. So I'd love to get your thoughts on an update from Golden Gloves VR and what's going on. It is just getting better and better and bigger and bigger. Um, it's getting picked up in, in lots of different, uh, the whole video game world. And uh, actually, we're going to do a Christy Martin. I'll be one of the boxers on the game, as well as one of the commentators. Awesome. So that's going to be exciting. But another uh, aspect of this, we're going to be able to do workout sessions. So like I can, you can log in and I can be your coach. 
and it'll be live. It'll be like a virtual workout. So it's, it's that, that, that is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm excited about all the, all the possibilities that that game is going to bring. So I can, through virtual reality, be trained by Christy Salters Martin. Yes. Yes. And we're using it with the Parkinson's classes. Yeah. We're going to use it with the domestic violence shelters. And again, this is where I don't, I'm not talking about doing it as physical work competing against somebody. I'm talking about using it just for the workout yeah. to improve your self-confidence. It's not about fighting somebody. It's about working out and just physically becoming more fit and stronger physically, which makes you stronger mentally. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, doing my, you know, growing up, my mom would have videos that she would work out to. Right. And now this makes it more real because you're working out with us and through virtual reality, obviously you still have to move your body. So you're training us and through something that can maybe take people's attention off it. Cause some people don't like to work out cause they think about working out. So if they're in virtual reality, they're having fun, they're boxing, you're there then now they're living in a world where it's fun and it's exciting and they don't really realize how much work they're putting in initially. And then hopefully they fall in love with it. And I love that you're doing it with Parkinson's because uh, my adopted grandfather who's up in heaven right now, my pop Pandozi, uh, he had Parkinson's. And obviously uh, I got to uh, this past year with Superpowered pop got to be around Michael J. Fox. So I appreciate the work you're doing with that. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, we're and we're big supporters with Ryan Roach, who is in, in the Boston area. He he does a great job with the park punch for Parkinson. So, yeah, yeah, we're you know that's it. God left me here to make a difference, and that's what I'm trying to do. God left me here to make a difference, and that's what I'm trying to do. It doesn't get better than that. And now we have rapid fire. So Pat, you get to. So we're going to go round robin. We're going to go forward and backward through the group here. Pat, you get to ask Christy. Christy asks me, and then we'll go back in this edition of Christie's Corner, episode three, exclusively on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, bi-monthly on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern time, proudly presented by PB&J's Lunchbox, 6630 Liverpool Road in Liverpool, New York. If you know what's good for you, trust the champ and get yourself that buffalo chicken grilled cheese. And if you trust me, I, I think I've ordered half the menu at this point, but I would say the barbecue chicken quesadilla, and if Pat's there, have her make you some nachos. The tuna melt's fantastic as well. The chili. There's so many great things at PB&J. So, Pat, you got the first question for Christy. Thank you, Dan. Um, Christy, I, I'm going against two questions here. I'm not I'm not sure which one I'm going to throw at you. Um, I think I'm going to go with the second one. What was the most fun year that you had at the Boxing Hall of Fame induction? And what generation of boxers did you enjoy listening to their stories during the weekend the most? Well, the best year, this with, with hands down, the best year, well, I don't know. I guess we could talk about sections, but I think the best year that I went to the Boxing Hall of Fame was the first year, 1996, uh, because I got to meet so many legends that first year with Carmen, Gene Fulmer, uh, Willie Pip. Archie Moore, I mean, Bob Foster, the list goes on and on. So, and those were the guys to sit and listen to, to them talk about training, to them talk about fighting each other. Um, it was amazing to me. Uh, you know, Angela Dundee was there, uh, Lou Duva, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable stories that I got to, got to hear from those guys. And um, yeah. It's very special. It's it's too bad. The Hall of Fame now is not really taking place right there in Canastota at Graziano's and, and um, 
you know, everybody right there on the grounds. It's over at the, the uh, turning stone, which is great for the turning stone. But yeah, it was those days when it was smaller and, and more concise was better, in my opinion. Yeah. I like that. Christy, what do you got for I me? I agree. <laughs> so I'm going to way put you on the spot. So we're mm -hmm. talking about Syracuse basketball. Yeah. If Coach Beheim were to retire, who would you put in as the next the next one? So the next head coach of Syracuse, uh, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. I So through time, I, I've thought about some things, and I know people think Matt Langle, who is the head coach of Colgate, and I think the reason why people think that is because he's beaten Jim Beheim twice in a row. I don't think people would even consider Matt Langle if he hadn't done something like that. So I know different names have come up in time, and I and I respect Matt Langle, and I think he kind of laughed it off because of – you know, just people being fake fans for a minute. But if it was up to me, <clears throat> knowing the people that I've known over the years and knowing how Jim puts together a staff of Syracuse Orange basketball alumni, you know, I, I think somewhere in the future, maybe we'll see Jerry McNamara be a head coach. Uh, Alan Griffin, I spent a lot of time with him. I, I know he's been an assistant for a while. I, I don't know if he if if he would want to be a, a head coach, uh, you know, I, I would have to talk to him more about that. But I know that Adrian Autry and I have had conversations about this years and years ago. And a lot of people don't know this. They think they're all assistants. He's the associate head coach. And what that means is if Jim Bayham gets sick, if Jim Bayham gets kicked out of a game, if he gets suspended, then as, as Adrian put it to me years ago, I get the clipboard. And so he is the right hand to Jim Beheim right now. And he's also been responsible for bringing in a lot of NBA players to, to Syracuse. A lot of guys that went on to the draft went on to be successful in the NBA. They give a lot of credit to Mike Hopkins, but it was Mike and Adrian. And what Adrian's been able to do, I mean, I remember he flew to, to Slovakia to see uh, Marek Dolajai and his dad and he was the only one that did that. And he told me in advance, he was like, don't say anything. I'm going overseas. I'm going to go see this kid. I think I can get him. And I kept it to myself, which 99.9% of the media wouldn't have done. And uh, he, he and Marek told me afterwards, he said, you know, I had some coaches call me. He was the only person that came to see me and my dad. So, you know, Adrian's a special type of person. He's a special type of recruiter. He deserves the opportunity. He deserves the chance. And no interim, no give you two years, see if you're good at it. I think Syracuse needs to do the right thing and let the man who has stayed there for a very long time, I think the second longest next to Mike Hopkins, to give him an opportunity to be there and to be the head coach. He is a – I would love to see what he does to motivate as a head coach. I love what he's done as an assistant and as a recruiter. And I would give it to Adrian Autry because as Dabo Sweeney said to me this past year, he said, you know, here's Clemson Tiger, multi-time national champion, who's also a big believer in God. He said to me when he, I asked him, I said, why did you promote from within? You know, you promoted two guys that were assistant coaches to be offensive and defensive coordinator. Why'd you do that? And he said, well, it's simple. He said, a lot of people have questioned me. A lot of people haven't liked it. But he said, when you have people in your business, in any type of business, and they're worthy of a promotion, 
and they've done the work and they've done what they needed to do to get the promotion and you don't promote them from within, you destroy the culture of your business. And so he believes in promoting from within when someone deserves that job. And to keep that same motif going, that's why I would give it to Adrian Autry, because if you don't give it to Adrian, you are destroying your culture and you're also destroying everything Adrian's done over the years by telling him that what he's done was enough, but he wasn't worthy. And I don't believe that. So Adrian Autry. Good answer. Thank you. So I'm going to go to Pat. Hmm. All right, Pat. You know what? Christy asked me, you and I have talked about it, but I never firmly sat down and asked you thoroughly on this. Who would you have as the next Syracuse coach? I wouldn't mind having Adrian Autry as coach because I think that he definitely has put the work in and I think he has a really good rapport with the players. Um, I think he's motivating and I think I think they would respect him. I think one of the problems with Jim Beheim and the younger generation that comes in, you know, you'll see him talk to Judah Mintz and Judah Mintz will walk away, you know, and that's really disrespectful. And I think that's one of the things that Jim Beheim is lacking now is like the respect of from his players. And I mean, he definitely lacks the respect from fans um, because if he does anything wrong, they're on him. But I think that um, I think Adrian Autry is a, I think Jerry McNamara, Jerry McNamara with him would be great because I think both of them have really put their time in along with Griffin. And I think the three of them together would, would be a whole new, whole new generation and a whole new atmosphere. And I think that's what Syracuse needs the most. They need a winning atmosphere and players that are going to commit 200%, not a hundred percent. Because I think what we saw this year with the four-game four slide um, was a little lack of effort on the defense. A lot of people standing around. And if you're playing a zone, you can't stand around. You really got to really bust, it, bust it out there to, to stop people. And I think with the amount of threes that were being made, um, that defense just wasn't, just wasn't working. But um, I think Adrian Autry wouldn't be a bad one. Uh, if I had to go outside of Syracuse University... I would probably bring in the Villanova coach because yeah, I, I think his personality is is good with young people, and I think he can motivate them. Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up Jay Wright because Jay Wright, you know, he he, I was with him last year at the Big East tournament around this time, and seeing him out there, uh, he. I did not anticipate that when I interviewed him that that would be that he would retire right after. And so he's kind of like retired early and I don't know if he's completely out of it. I never thought he would leave Villanova, but now that he's retired, he would be a good phone call to make for sure because he's now got time to think about it and the fact that he hasn't been out there. So uh, so that going to Pat Pat what's your question for me? Um what I was fighting with two questions for you, too. Um, the first one was, what's going on with the red Mustang you posted on Facebook? Is it a purchase or a midlife crisis? And my other question was, who's the worst person you've ever interviewed? But I don't know if you would reveal that on. Yeah. So so the Mustang is because God is great. And uh, so I had a really cool thing. So I got into Greensboro. 
And as I'm coming through the airport, I was just about to the rental car place. I'm walking down. I'm on like the last couple steps. And I hear Daniel Tortora. Could you please come over to Delta? We have a special message for you, Daniel. And I was like, God, you know, it was like it was <laughs> such a weird. It was, you know, to hear my name like that. So that was. Yeah. God, mom. So, uh, yeah. So it was really, uh, that was really cool. And so that happened. Then I went over to the rental car place and the guy looks at me and he goes, do you want a sports car? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And, uh, and he was like, okay, we can give you a challenger or we can give you a Mustang. And I looked at him, I knew what I wanted, but I said, you choose. And so the lady and the guy were there, she hands it to him. She goes, you choose. And so he chose for me and then he came over to me. He didn't say anything. He went through the whole process. And then as he handed me the keys, he said, your red Mustang will be waiting outside for you, sir. And so, yeah, so I got, I got the Stang and I'll tell you this, which I didn't know when you shut the door on the Mustang at night, it leaves a Mustang logo on the ground that's illuminated. So I'm just saying right now, uh, I'm very excited and I get to roll up to the uh, ACC tournament in my Mustang, which is pretty sweet. So I do like the Mustangs, not a purchase yet. And uh, worst person I've ever interviewed. I, I've i had over 4,000 people on the show, and I got to tell you that pretty much everybody's been nice. There was a couple guys at Jets camp that I'll leave unnamed that were rude, and I don't know why they were rude. And, uh, and I guess I, I don't understand the, the reason for it. Maybe it was ego at the time. Maybe they were just hot. They had a bad day. But I, I usually go back to that moment and say, like, why would you be mean? And some of them were mean to the fans. But, you know, the, they're not there anymore. So I guess we can leave that. And one of the guys follows me on Instagram and likes my posts. So good for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say anybody's been horrible, but I, but I will say that there was a couple days at Jets camp in SUNY Cortland where I think guys were a little overheated. So thank you for that. All right, Christy. Hmm. Christy, if you took over a wake up call for a day, who are the three guests that you would interview? I would have Don King. Okay. For sure. That would that would be Don King. Um Mike Tyson sticking with the boxing theme. And uh my mother. Okay. I like it. Don and King. Don King, Mike Tyson, and your mom. And now that you've said that, we need all three of them to join us on Christie's Corner. So you gotta figure that <laughs> well, out. My mom's probably listening. She's <laughs> actually at Dallas right now, so she's uh Hopefully she's listening. I love you, mom. If you are listening, shout out to mom. Love you too, mom. Yeah, shout out to mom. We all love you, Pat, Christy, and my. Listen, I know when there's when there's a smile from a daughter or a son about a good mom. So Christy's got a big smile over here. That means that mom must have done something right. So shout out to you, mom. Thanks for raising Christy, and thanks for you know making her as strong as she is and being a part of that to have her here today. So shout out to mom and all the good moms and good dads everywhere. Christy, you have the last one for Pat. I love that we got to celebrate moms today. That's so cool. Thank you for that. What do you got for Pat? Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, Who would you say is the worst attitude that you ever encountered at the International Boxing Hall of Fame? Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, There might have been a few. 
I don't know if I should really name them. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I set you up easily for this answer. Yeah. <laughs> You're not thinking. You're not thinking like we're not on the same wavelength. Like, and I, I thought for sure you would come right back with. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'd have to the say that. Person, it doesn't have to be a boxer. It could be just a person with the boxer. <laughs> She's really trying to get that answer out. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm really going to know that. <laughs> it's too early for me for that. I, I would have to say I, one I of the worst. Sure that I thought easily Pat was going to say Jim Martin. So yeah, <laughs> I put him out of my head though. But yeah, he he was the worst by far. He um he definitely didn't like me, and he definitely was not easy to deal with. Um, so he, I don't miss him at all. He he can never come back. That would be a that would be a godsend. Um, but some other attitudes, I say, I would have to say Clarissa Shields because she needs to be a little bit humble. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that aren't humble and they come in there all cocky and and stuff, um, it, you know, it's kind of it's kind of tough to deal with. Antonio Carver was tough to deal with the first time he came. But after that, he was, you know, more humbled and like, wow, this is cool. Um, so it's, it, it, I try not to remember the ones that are bad. Because it's a real, it's a, it's a great, it's a great event. And just seeing all the fighters, seeing all the different personalities. Um, I asked you about the generation thing because the old timers were freaking awesome. Um, you know, Bo Jack, Kid Gavilan. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, it was amazing that Muhammad Ali had, you know, the the medical issues, but would come back to the Hall of Fame five, six years later and would remember people, you know, and, and shake their hands and, and all that. So, um, you know, that's the, the old timers were great. The younger ones, they, you know, they need to be a little more humble. They aren't as great as the old timers, really. So. I guess I would kind of go with that, but by far Jim Martin was the worst. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree and I don't know him. So, <laughs> so I would say that. So that coming from Pat or the owner of PB and J's lunchbox, six, six, three, all Liverpool road in Liverpool, New York head out there today by the Thruway, destiny USA, the highway, as well as Onondaga Lake Parkway, centrally located for you. Christie's Corner with Christie Salters. Martin, the champ here with us, the International Boxing Hall of Famer, every other Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, exclusively on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Christy, the final word. you have anything else you'd like to share? You know, I just uh, remember everybody out there to, to take extra notice of your coworkers, your family, your friends, your neighbors. Um, it, Whatever might be their issue, whether it be domestic violence or just anything going on in their life, kindness is free. So don't don't be hesitant to share it. You know, you've said a lot of things today, a lot of great quotes, a lot of a lot of put it on the T-shirt and stare at it in the mirror. But kindness is free. Don't forget to share it. That is a perfect way to end it. Thank you to Christy. Thank you, Pat. And thank you to all of you for watching and listening. We got plenty more coming up here on Wake Up Call. Champ, thanks for being amazing. Thank you. Thanks, PB&J. All right. Thank you. We got a crunch wrap today for special. Come get it. Crunch wrap going on today on 
special and a lot of great things that are coming up at PB&J's, those, those boards that are going to have the mouthwatering food staring at you now. So I'm very excited for all of the awesome things that are happening at PB&J's. I got to eat there recently and uh, I love the food as always. So thank you, Pat, for all that you do. And thank you, Christy, for reminding us that kindness is free. With thanks, that, thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye, guys. Take care. So with that being said, here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports truly meets that thing called life, we're going to get into our conversation here with Chris Joseph here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. And we have the opportunity to bring on Chris Joe here. So always excited to have these opportunities with Syracuse Orange alumni and to be able to talk with them and, and to have a great time here. And you know that attorney time talk is something that we do on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora every time that we are here in the tournament. So looking forward to the opportunity of bringing on Chris Joseph here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports truly meets that thing called life. We're going to take a step aside for a fast break, and we'll be back with Chris Joseph right after this on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or iced milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvelage, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Kefi Kabalm offers same-day local delivery of our products, offering no delivery charge for Onondaga County. Shop KefiKabal.com for fresh roasted coffee beans, cold brew, travel mugs, and all your essential Kefi Kabal needs. Kefi Kabal, coffee for the soul. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315 315- 487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. In these unique times, there are those in our community that give us a sense of normalcy and positivity. Pizza Man on 50 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville has been here for you for over 35 years. 
and is here now. Call 315-638-1234 or order online at pizzamanbville.com to bring those familiar tastes into your home. And remember to come see our monthly on-site broadcasts centered around the community and our Baldwinsville Bees. Pizza Man in Baldwinsville. Any way you slice it, they are always here for you. This is Jimmer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others. I kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life, and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacting the lives of others is really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all, it starts with the food. The food is brought in fresh daily, and we bring in local produce. We prepare to order in the kitchen. We hand bread our chicken. We hand spin our milkshakes. It's it's great food. It doesn't taste like fast food. I, I think the second thing is is the way people feel when they come in a Chick Fil A restaurant. It's different. We we try to treat people with intentional kindness here, which is very different and deeper than good customer service. And so. I think it feels remarkable for most people to come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And then lastly, the impact that we try to have in the community is very different. It's a big part of the expectation of every operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant is that they're actively engaged in their community, they're a leader in the community, and they're, they're making a difference. When they realize that what we're striving to do is to shine a little light in their life. That's a very, very different experience uh, than you will have in any other quick service restaurant. And it's that remarkable experience that I think people will emotionally connect with. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. Our corporate purpose at Chick-fil-A is to glorify God by being faithful stewards of all that's entrusted to us and to positively influence all those who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And what became increasingly clear from our success in Cicero is that people love Chick-fil-A. And also, I think we recognize that, you know, we had a great opportunity to grow the brand and grow our platform. I felt incredibly grateful when I was selected to be a Chick-fil-A operator. I think what it's meant for me, what I've come to realize on a very deep level is that this is a calling for me. It's not a career. It's not a job. The Lord called me to be a Chick-fil-A operator and to use these restaurants to glorify him and to positively influence other people. I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. Head to Chick-fil-A Clay on 3974 State Route 31 in Liverpool, New York. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you where sports truly meets that thing called life as we are on the road and happy to be here on the road with you. Wake Up Call OTR is the hashtag that we use as we are on the road, on site, on location 
in Greensboro, North Carolina, and we are, and that is the skyline that you see behind me. So very happy to be here in Greensboro. And we have Chris Joseph on with us. We call it Tourney Time Talk is what we do every single tournament time every year, right around this time, right before we head into the NCAA tournament. We have that week of championship week with tournaments going on all around the country. And I spend the entire week with Syracuse Orange basketball alumni. And obviously they're on with us during the season as well. And then we have the opportunity to have tourney time week where we have Syracuse, no matter what win, lose, or draw for the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team, we have their student athlete alumni here with us all the way through. And it means the world to me. So Chris Joseph is here with me right now, live on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. It's been a minute, so the last time that I saw Chris was at NBA Summer League down in Orlando, Florida. So it's been a little bit here, but he's been to the Dome a lot, and I had the opportunity to see him just a few days ago. So I'm very, very much appreciative and thankful to be able to say to you, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Joseph, here with us live. Chris, how are we doing? Well, thanks for having me, first and foremost, but um, I'm doing well now. You know, we're coming off with a good win the other day on uh, Saturday in front of a great crowd, in front of some great alum, 2003 uh, National Championship uh, reunion. It was a great weekend, man, so I'm doing great. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to have you here, Chris. And, and, you know, for you, when you reflect on your time at Syracuse and you look back to your years that, that you were there, what sticks out to you the most? What can you kind of – you know, what's kind of top of mind to you that you celebrate when you, when you walk back into the dome, I'm sure you can't help, but have some memories. What are some of those memories? Well, for one, you know, my memories start before I even, you know, get into the dome. When I take my drive from Montreal uh, to Syracuse and, you know, I, I, I'm on the 401 headed towards the border, Thousand Islands border, and I finally cross it. Now I'm on 80. That's when it starts for me. You know what I mean? I'm headed now 81 South and all these memories and the goosebumps start coming back up because I remember the uh, the brotherhood that was formed throughout my four years um, at Syracuse. So a lot of the guys who I <clears throat> played with, still very close with till this day, have multiple group chats with former players where you just, you know, whatever we're doing, sending uh, motivational uh, things on social media, memes, memories, whatever it may be. So for me, the brotherhood that was formed um, at Syracuse was huge, and I remember the alums, and got, like guys like uh, John Wallace would come up, Derek Coleman, of course. And um, at the time, you don't really, you, you kind of take it for granted, like unknowingly. You know, they say things like, you know, these are going to be the best four years of your life. Make sure that you, you know, uh, take in everything. Make sure that you know whatever the case, all these things. And I'm thinking to myself, my four years, I got four years, three years left, or two years left, you know. And, you know, before you know it, it's over. And you're sitting back there, and I'm 34 today, and I sit back and I'm like, those were really the best years of my life. So for me, the brotherhood that was formed, the battles that we had on the court in practice, which led us to be, you know, some of the better teams in Syracuse history when we played together out there on the court was amazing. So those are some of the things that I, that I hold near and dear to my heart. That coming here from Chris Joseph here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora in tourney time talk for this conference tournament week. And Chris, like you said, you know, for you, it's the brotherhood for you. It's when you start that drive from Montreal. It's not getting into the dome. 
it's all the way there. It's it's all of those moments that you had, and not just with your teammates, but like you said, with those that came before you. That brotherhood that you spoke about, John Wallace, Derek Coleman, uh, being around guys that know you, you know them because they played the game at Syracuse, you played the game at Syracuse. When you have that brotherhood and that connection, why do you think it's tight? Why do you think it's close? Why do you think that former players want to connect and you know that that John Wallace would want to know Chris Joseph and that Chris Joseph would want to know Joe Girard the third why do you think the brotherhood is the way it is that that's purely because of coach we all play for the same coach so for me you know obviously every player that I um, I'm, a, I'm a proud Syracuse alone regardless of what but a lot of people, who, a lot of former teammates of mine stopped going as much when the guys who they played with, maybe you, you were a senior when CJ was a freshman, and you know you have three more years of CJ when you go back to campus. Sometimes when there's no more players that you uh, know, you're a little more, you know, you don't, you don't, you're like, who, who am I going to talk to when I go up there, pretty much. But uh, for me, it's coach, man. Coach, the staff, and I think guys like John Wallace, Derek Coleman, we all share that one coach in common. So they come back and it's love, you know. And then more times than not, a lot of guys who are on the staff were former players. So John Wallace coming back, there's a coach hop, you know. They so just, the brotherhood just continues throughout the years because even you look at the staff now, everybody who's on there played for coach. So of course, there's going to be guys who come back. And had and has had relationships with uh, the guys on the staff as players, or just knowing them from coming back up to campus when they were gone. So you know, coaches the link between all of them, and it's just because of how long he's been there, the great work that he's put in uh, for 48 seasons, and um, the work that he continues to do. So you know, I think that's what it is. And, and again, I think everybody, a lot of guys bleed orange. A guy like uh, Dante Green, who people may not see so so often, but it was only at Syracuse for a year, but we'll give his left arm, you know, for for, for somebody from the Chiefs. He bleeds open for real. We speak often. Um, and I think that's the feel that everybody gets. Um, and, and, and and also, I got to give credit to the fans, man. If the fans were terrible, you know, I know some, some friends of mine who don't go back to their school because they feel like they don't get the love that they deserve. One thing that Syracuse Nation, you know, will make you feel is love anytime you go back to campus and you know I spoke about driving up 81 but when you go into the dome and I'm just you know sitting around and whatever seat that they give me whatever section and everybody around is just so happy to see me it's like you, you really feel like you did some great work here and they're really really appreciated there's nothing better than that as well I feel like you're appreciated for the things that you've done yeah, coming here from Syracuse Orange Basketball alum Chris Joseph on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora's Tourney Time Talk all throughout the week, having Syracuse Orange Basketball alumni on the show as we have done for many, many years in many, many cities. We're in Greensboro, North Carolina this time around. Uh, Chris, you brought it up. I said, why is the brotherhood so strong at Syracuse? You said, because we all had the same coach. 47 years, Jim Beheim, almost five decades being the head coach at Syracuse. Nobody else has done this. And when it comes to Division One, uh, we have never seen this. When it comes to basketball in and of itself, you don't see a coach uh, spend this much time in one place. So you said, hey, we have the brotherhood as strong as we have because we all played for the same coach. Jim Beheim is a lightning rod. And I know this, 
the question, and it's probably the same for you, Chris, the question I get asked more than any other question <laughs> when it comes to sports every year is, when's Jim Beheim going to retire? When's he going to be done? Dan, do you know when he's done? Do you have the inside scoop? When's he done? When's he done? Is he going to be done? Is he done now? Is he done yesterday? Was he done today? Is yeah, Always, I get that. And I would love to get your thoughts on that because you played for him, because like you said, the brotherhood is strong because of him. What are your thoughts on, on Jim Beheim currently when it seems like the fan base over the last couple of years has gotten very, not everybody, but that some people have gotten very, very loud about the fact that they don't want him there anymore? Um, you know, I think that he's going to leave on his own terms when he feels, you know, ready. Um, the competitor that he is, I'm sure that going out on his own terms would probably mean going out with a with a winning season, maybe a tournament, uh, a tournament run, deep tournament run, so that his 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 last, you know, the last thing that he did would be something great, you know, making a deep tournament run or something of that nature. But honestly, I feel like he's gonna leave when he's been ready. Um, he knows more basketball, you know, than a lot of people, you know, and I think that um, people grow restless because, of course. They've been treated, you know, almost you want to say spoiled because of the, so many years of great basketball at Syracuse, you know, going back to the 80s. Um, that, you know, a couple of seasons, is, is a couple of down seasons, if you want to call them down seasons, um, they are not, we're not really used to it. You know, from an alumni standpoint, from thinking about, you know, my teams when I've been here, it's, it's something that we're not used to seeing, but it's something that a lot of teams in, in the country, you know, go through. The only difference is that the other schools, when when these things happen, they're getting these coaches out of here, you know, <laughs> three years into their five-year contract or whatever the case is, if they're not bringing in results. They have his, his body of work is obviously speaks for itself. You know what I mean? So um, I think we got to be more patient. You know, as, as, as hard as that may seem right now, we got to be patient. Especially right now, we got a great core of guys, great core freshmen um, that can really do some great things if they stick together. But again, to answer your question, he's going to leave when he's getting ready. I have no inside scoop. I have no real opinion on when I think he should retire or not. I just know that he's a great basketball coach. Um, he's coached pros. He, he knows how to get kids to the next level. His staff is great at developing talent. And, you know, when he, when he feels like, okay, I'm done you know, what I'm supposed to do, that's when he'll leave. Who knows? For all we know, he, he had an, an idea in his mind that he wanted to coach 50 years. And after 50, he might leave. I don't know. You know what I mean? So I guess we just got to stay tuned. Yeah, and like you said, you know, you don't have an inside scoop. And, and he had written in one of his books, he said, you know, <laughs> I'm going to leave. You know, like basically I'm not going to tell anybody when I'm going and I'm going to leave in orange wake, you know, in, in, my, in my departure type of thing. I mean, like you said, fans are, are spoiled. And, and, and I agree with that. I know some people get offended by that, but it's reality. You know, when when you think every single year my team's going to get 20 to 25 wins in the regular season and they're going to go to the Sweet 16, you know, I mean, you look at your environment, Chris. There's some teams that have never made the NCAA tournament ever once. So to make the tournament would be a blessing to win their conference tournament 
would be a blessing. To not having a losing record would be a blessing. There's over 350 Division I schools. And there's so many, I mean, Division One, Two, and Three, there's over 400 in Division Three. So, you know, you, you look at how difficult it is to make the tournament 68 spots, 353 or 355, I think, teams at, at this time. So, so many schools out there trying to do it. Jim Beheim has had 20 wins in 41 of 47 seasons. That's including this season if it didn't happen. 41 of 47 has been to the Final Four not once, but in multiple different decades, which means that he was able to get through to student-athletes at different times during America and America's growth and progression. So to be able to go to the Final Four, to do it in multiple decades, to win a national championship, to have over 1,100 wins, and to be the only coach to do that in one place, as well as... He is on a tiny, tiny list that I mentioned earlier in the show. If people do their research, which they should, when you're talking about a coach or anything, you should do your due diligence. Dean Smith and Jim Beheim are two coaches in the history of college basketball that have only had one losing season when it comes to men's division one. John Wooden had zero. So when you're looking at the list of one losing season or less, you have Jim Beheim, Dean Smith, John Wooden. I would like to think. What'd you say? I said that's a great company right there. Yeah. So I would like to think if you have one losing season or less in almost 50 years, plus you've made it to the final four in multiple decades, plus you've won a national championship, plus you have over 1,100 wins. I understand people's concern with the zone right now. I understand people wanting to see some offensive plays, and I understand my thoughts on some of the things. But I would think that Jim Beheim has more than done his due diligence to leave when he wants to, when he feels like it. I, I don't I don't feel like Dean Smith was kicked out the door, and I don't think John Wooden was either. So I would think that Jim Beheim has every right, based on statistical analysis, to be able to say goodbye when he wants to say goodbye and 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 to bring it even more into reality, Chris. He's had four seasons in a row where he hasn't gotten to 20 wins. There's some coaches that have never gotten to 20 wins in the history of their coaching career. Exactly. Again, just the, when you break down analytics, I love that. You know, these are some of the stats that people do need to hear just to put things in perspective. You know what I mean? And perspective is everything. Um, I, I, and I do, I, I do get it. Because there's been times I'm like, hey, what's going on? I mean, there, you know, we bought two scholarships because of whatever BS happened um, and things of that nature. But, you know, and people say we're not getting the same recruits that we used to, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we just got them the dogs All-American and do it. We had a great freshman class coming this year. I think things on the up and up. But those, those stats that you just reeled off are very important for the fan base to, to know and to understand because – it is difficult to to get a win, to get twenty, to get a win at this level in these conferences. We're talking, you know, in ACC, Big East, you know, the Power Five. It, it is hard to get a win. There's a lot that goes in. There's a lot of practice. There's a lot of prep work. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes to be able to be ready, you know, for game day. Um, and believe me, if Syracuse is doing it, so are the other teams. So is you know Georgia Tech, you know, the Battlehawks, the Tech. But these teams are are trying to win. You know what I mean? So um, one win is hard to get, let alone 20. Yeah, yeah. You know, a very, very difficult thing to do, and especially in, in today's 
game and the way the game is played. And I do want to mention Roy Williams as well. So Roy Williams, Dean Smith, John Wooden, and Jim Beheim all one losing season or less. Coach K has had four. Granted, he was not at Duke the whole time. Jay Wright has had five losing seasons. So just to put some things into perspective for people out there that are wondering why Jim Beheim's still the head coach, you know, Chris, like you said, uh, you know, you have no inside track to when he's going to leave. He's going to do it when he feels like he wants to do it. How do you handle it? I mean, when you're in the dome this season and there's like <laughs> the student section is booing Jim Beheim at times, how do you handle moments like that? Well, I, I, I want to say this. The two times that I came to the dome this year, we won. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I didn't hear any booing. Um, but I think that that's... Uh, you know, that's, that's terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really feel like that's unfair. Um, you gotta, you, yes, at the end of the day, playing devil's advocate, you can understand, you know, the, the frustration. I can, I can get, I understand that. But we gotta have a lot more love for our coach. You know, a lot of these people in the dome, uh, coach was there before through born and cried before their parents were born and things of that nature, right? So um we gotta we gotta appreciate coach a lot more than that, you know, for all the work that he's done, for all the work that he's put in for the city and for the program, you know what I mean? So for the university. Um so I feel like it's unfair. I, I personally I haven't I have never I never knew that happened, to be honest with you. So I'm shocked as you tell me this night. Now I'm shocked that that even took place. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's really out there. That coming from Chris Joseph, Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball alum, starting off our week of tourney time talk that we do every single season, every year around this time with Syracuse Orange alumni. Win or lose for Syracuse in the ACC tournament, we carry our conversations with those that help to build the dome that we have today and before that Manly Fieldhouse. So, Chris, before I let you go here, uh, let's let's look to this team now and, and your thoughts on the current squad. What's your what are your thoughts on this season for Syracuse? What you've seen from the guys? Granted, and I think people forget this, and I said this at the beginning of the year when they said, "Dan, how's the team going to do?" And I said, "Nobody can answer that question with full truth." And the reason why I say that is because you have seven new faces. More than half your team is new. Benny Williams had to take on a bigger role. Joe Girard was now going to play in position at shooting guard. So, you know, you look at him switching back to the position he should have been in, You, in my opinion. You have Benny Williams that needs to do, you know, some more this season and, and rise. And then you have seven new faces coming onto the team, six true freshmen and Munir Hima coming in. I didn't think that you could say anything about this team until you actually got to watch them play together. What is your assessment of the team now that we have gotten to see them playing as many games as they had. What What's your take on the 2022-23 team? Uh, just that we need to be a little bit more consistent. We should flash it, but we can be get great wins against teams like uh, NC State uh, on both North and North Carolina. Yeah, so we've, we've had some good wins, um, and obviously we've had some, some really bad losses. And that's just like they do to the, uh, the maturity the team, you know, they're young, like you said, new faces running the zone. But to really know the zone, it takes you, it takes a while. It's not something that you can just learn overnight and be really good at it. You know, no matter what people say, 
it's been a whole season and you're still losing results. But yeah, because teams that they're playing against are really good. You look at a game like Duke where they were penetrating the gap and fighting shooters. And, um, you know, we had a, a rough four, three, four games, three game stretch where teams scored nine more points against us in the zone to the point where we had to try to play man in you know, one of our most recent games. I forget who we were playing uh, there towards the end. But um, I think it's just the youth. And that's why I feel like if this group stays together, like you said, seven to try to earn, uh, playing significant minutes, you know, that's a youth playing significant minutes in a league that's full with, you know, guys who've been around for two or three years who understand the collegiate game of basketball, but not only that, that understand the ACC and what it takes to be a champion, what it takes to win in that league. So, um, just the youth and the inexperience is my take on why, you know, we struggle because <clears throat> when you do, when they look good, like again, like uh, on Saturday, they look great. Jesse looked aggressive, 20-20. I mean, that's, that doesn't happen very, very often. The last person to do it, I believe, is Paul Harris, which was over 10 years ago. So, um, you know, playing like a man out there. And, uh, Joe not being, like you say, he's, he's getting the buddy behind the tree he's getting face guard again here all game because they don't want him going off. So, now we're relying heavily on a freshman point guard, um, Benny Williams, who's playing an increased role, but didn't play exactly as well as he could have throughout the season. So it's tough, you know, and when you put all those things together, we still found ways to dig out some wins. And I truly believe that it's not 100% over. Things could happen in any tournament, a conference tournament, March Madness, where a team that wasn't supposed to lose, loses. Now your next matchup, if you win, is a little bit easier. Maybe you're not looking to play a Virginia. Maybe Virginia loses to whoever they lose to. So things can happen, right? Obviously, you need a little luck. But um, overall, I think it was just the inexperience of the group that, that was our downfall. That comment from Chris Joseph, and I can understand that completely. Chris from Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball History. Uh, Chris, a final note here from you in our conversation here in Tourney Time Talk on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Uh, what is it about Syracuse during this time of year when we're in March and we're conference tournament and, you know, obviously NCAA tournament and whatnot, what do you get excited about, you know, still as as a as an alum now when you're seeing this team, be it the Big East, the ACC, whatever it is, uh, to see Syracuse have an opportunity to tip off in a season where everything's 0-0, win or lose, what is it about March that you love so very much? You say, you know, it's a brand new season. You have a chance to, you know, uh, give yourself a new identity, come out, give it everything you got, forget everything that's happened in the past, past, you know, weeks, days. Now you're fully just engaged and into what's going on currently. And I think that um, we have the makeup to, to, to make some things happen because when we're all clicking, we're an electrifying team. You know, we, we have the athletes, we have the shooters, we have the inside presence, everything that we need to be successful, we have. So um, that's what it is for me. I'm looking forward to seeing these guys play. Um, and, and we're playing a late force in the first round. We just, you know, had our way with the other day. Of course, you got to expect late force to come in there with a new game plan and probably try to neutralize uh, Jesse a little bit. But we have a lot of weapons on this team. It's just a matter of figuring out 
uh, which ones need to be, you know, going off at the right time. Coming here from Chris Joseph. Chris, as always, I appreciate it. You're from up in Montreal, so I, I had to ask you this really quick. My dad's been up to Montreal. I've been to a bunch of different parts of Canada. I'm a big-time Raptors fan, so I've been to Toronto a bunch. So two-part question for you. Why should I come up to Montreal? And secondly, are you a Raptors fan? And please understand there is a right answer to that question. <laughs> um, Montreal, if you come to Montreal, it's real poutine level, of course. you got to come up here because obviously we got the best poutine in the world. Even okay. better than Toronto. I don't know if you've ever had one out there. I know there's, there's some places in Syracuse that say they love it. But I'm a big poutine guy. So if you enjoy a big poutine, come down to Montreal, then you'll be satisfied. And I'm definitely a Raptors fan. Definitely. Come on, I'm back from the Damon Stoudemire era. Of course, growing up, Jim Sanity, Air Canada. Um, those were great, great times for us in Canada where we had something to cheer for after the Grizzlies had, had moved on. So... Um, 100% a Raptors fan. I love that, and I love that you said, come on, man, all the way back to Damon Stoudemire. He's the reason why I'm a Raptors fan from day zero, 1994. I think the logo came out, 95, the team started competing. I've been a fan the whole time, and Chris Joe, I think we got to say this to everybody. Back in 2019, the Raptors did something that most people told me was impossible. They said, not only are you dumb for being a Raptors fan, but you like the only team that's not playing in America. How you even have an NBA team in Canada? And then they won, and I was sitting next to Katie Kalinske when it happened. Shout out to Katie and her connection to Syracuse basketball. So Katie and I were sitting next to each other at the Wildcat Sports Pub watching this game, watching this championship happen. And Chris, I'm sure you have some people out here as well as I do right now. So here's my public service announcement. Here's my PSA. To those of you that said the Raptors would never do it, that they couldn't do it, why would you like a Canadian team that's playing in America? They got nothing. Their logo's ridiculous. Have there even been Raptors in Toronto? And every other thing that you said to us over the years, Chris Joseph and I will be more than happy to send you a P.O. box to send your cards, your flowers, and your chocolates, because a lot of you still need to apologize to Chris and I, and I know that's right. 100 percent 100 percent we the north baby we the north that's right you know dude i like i got i got chills in my chest right now with you saying we the north on the show today i'm feeling that so i wish i wish you were here so we could celebrate that but uh hopefully i mean i got to see you the two times in the dome and yes syracuse won both times i look forward to seeing you soon and the next time that we do something together i would love the opportunity chris that uh, when we're when we're face to face that we wear some uh, We the North gear and we do the show truly the right way. Yes, sir. That's the only way to do it. All right, Chris Joseph, Syracuse Orange basketball alum and another person that is waiting for your apology on the Raptors. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Hey, coming from Chris Joseph once again. Man, oh, I feel that. I feel that in my chest, man. I feel that in my chest this morning. I love that. That's awesome. So, so, so cool. Uh, Raptors, we, you know, it's good to hear somebody else on the show say we the North. So I love that. We're going to take a step aside for a fast break. When we come back, Wake Up Call will be live as we continue our tourney time talk all throughout the week featuring Syracuse Orange men's basketball alumni. I started this years and years ago, win, lose, or draw for the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team during championship week, heading all the way to the uh, selection show. No matter what the season is, 
wins, losses, whatever's going on. Syracuse Orange men's basketball alumni call Wake Up Call home. And we have the opportunity to speak with so many of them. Coming up after this fast break, Dennis Duvall joins the show once again. Tourney Time Talk with Dennis right after this, where sports meets life. Stay with us. Kefi Cabal offers same-day local delivery of our products, offering no delivery charge for Onondaga County. Shop KefiCabal.com for fresh roasted coffee beans, cold brew, travel mugs, and all your essential Kefi Cabal needs. Kefi Cabal, coffee for the soul. Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory remind us that every day is worth celebrating. Find them at 201 Old 7th North Street in Liverpool, New York. Open Monday through Saturday in store and all the time online at maandpazpopcorn.com. Serving our Central New York community and beyond, you can order all throughout the country at maandpazpopcorn.com. And remember to get your tins, which have in-store half-price refills forever. Ma and Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory, available to you for fundraising and all of your events by calling 315-450-6272. That's 315-450-6272. Ma and Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory. How corny are you? Witty Wicks Candles and Gift Shop, Township 5 Camillus, where you will find handcrafted all-natural soy wax candles over 60 cents to freshen up your home. We carry a wide range of locally made items, Salsa Cues, Syracuse Salt, and Chocolate Pizza Company, to name a few. Let our knowledgeable staff help choose unique gifts and keepsakes for any occasion. Gifts for family and friends, and maybe a little something for yourself. Woody Wicks Candles and Gift Shop, Township 5 Camillus. And a welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with you where sports truly meets that thing called life. And we appreciate you being here with us every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. This week, we are going to give you an extra day. As yesterday, we started off the week with an awesome feature with Brian and Stratton, women's basketball. Brian and Stratton College of Syracuse women's basketball head coach Tay Baker speaking with me beyond basketball, beyond the court, a real talk on life and uh, so many things that uh, could be better in America so having the conversation about many, many different things, I would implore all of you to go back and watch that video with Tay to start off this week about how America has been, where it is, and where we hope it can go. So a lot of 
lot of wonderful things said from uh, somebody I care about dearly. So check that Bobcat Buzz special out with Tay Baker. And all this week, all the way through Saturday, not Friday, Saturday, we're going to go an extended day on uh, March 11th. 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time each day. I have the opportunity of joining you here from Greensboro, which is right behind me here in the skyline. And we're having some fun down here at the ACC tournament. I'll be covering 15 schools in five days, Syracuse included. And no matter what happens with Syracuse, as we have done for many, many years on the show, we have tourney time talk with Syracuse Orange men's basketball alumni. And they'll be joining me all week long no matter what happens with the Syracuse Orange. So hopefully good news for Syracuse as they continue on. No matter what, we'll be able to have the conversation because true Syracuse fans support the team win or lose, and true fans in general do that. So with that being said, I am so elated, as always, to have Dennis Duvall here on the show with me, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum, a friend of mine, and somebody who has spent many years here on the show. So it's always my honor and my privilege to have him here with me. Dennis, how are you doing today? Come on, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And, and like I said off the air, Dennis, you know, when I put that you were coming on the show on, on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT, Twitter at Call DT, and Instagram at Wake Up Call underscore DT, I got messages last night and early this morning that said two words, sweet D. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on the fact that people don't forget that Dennis Duval will always be sweet D? I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. Uh, when you get to my age, the fact that people remember you uh, in a positive way, uh, I'm good with that. As long as they're SU fans and uh, they appreciate SU basketball, that's what I'm uh, uh, happy about. Yeah, so a very, very much, uh, you know, appreciate everybody that remembers the history of, you know, they say, you know, you got to remember the history. You got to remember where you came from. And Dennis Duvall, a part of the Syracuse Orange men's basketball history. We just saw two jerseys get retired and put up in the rafters. Uh, J- Jerry McNamara, number three, and number one, Hakeem Warwick, both from the 2003 National Championship team. They joined number 15, Carmelo Anthony, from that team as well. Your jersey, Dennis, is up there in the rafters too. Number 22 is up there. And uh, the picture that we have here on YouTube and Facebook.com, both backslash Wake Up Call DT, is of that ceremonious day where number 22 went up into the rafters forever. What can you say about being a part of such a small group in Syracuse history now that Hakeem Warwick and Jerry McNamara have joined you? What it's like to be one of the jerseys that every time you go into the Dome and you look up there, that Dennis Duvall is hanging there? Well, you know, obviously it's a great feeling. And and, uh, with that feeling, you know, it's an honor um, to be among – we, we consider and, and the community considers um, some of the best players in the history of uh, Syracuse University basketball. I think that's the biggest honor that you represent that um, by your jersey being hanging up there. So it, it is an extreme honor. Um, I'm sure Jerry and and, uh, and the team feel the same way in terms of that. Um, I was at the ceremony um, Friday night watching the game at the Tan Auditorium, the Veterans Auditorium, and I was also at the game uh, witnessing that. You know, and, and what what are your words for Jerry McNamara and Hakeem Warwick now that they're a part of this very special uh, group the that's that has their jerseys up inside of the Dome? What would you like to say to these gentlemen as part of that group as well? Uh, first of all, welcome to the club. 
<laughs> that's the first thing. Uh, it's a special uh, club. Uh, both both of them are uh, good and great human beings, um, and they they recognize the fact that being there, what it what it carries with it. Um, both of them understand that um, from a, a long term view in terms of the future and what they represent. But it's also about the Arns family and the fact that um, we've all come through that program. So um, I'm sure my word to them is nothing more than the fact that, you know, we're all family, um, whether our jerseys are up there or not, but the fact that they are um, highlights a little bit, uh, a bigger part maybe we have played in, in that process and, and that um, history. I'm going to ask you a, a personal question here that, that forces you to reflect upon yourself. Dennis, why do you feel like your jersey is one of those jerseys up there? Well, um, I didn't make that decision. Uh, history makes those decisions. I think that the fact that, um, you know, things that I did when I was in college, um, I was a two-time All-American. I was a first-team All-American uh, my senior year. I was also an academic All-American. I think those things uh, would help qualify me for, uh, uh, for, for being there. There would be some of the things. Um, choices were made by somebody else, but uh, I think they looked at my overall career at, at Syracuse and what I did while I was there and deemed that that would be necessary for uh, those accomplishments would have been necessary for uh, for me to be there along with others that had those same uh, accomplishments. Speaking here with Dennis Duval in tourney time talk on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball alumni with me all throughout championship week here in the postseason of college basketball every year we have this week dedicated to Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball alumni. And if you listen to the show, Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora throughout the year, we have Syracuse Orange alumni on all the time. So it is always an honor and a privilege, of course, during tourney time as well. Dennis, in the same respect of me asking why you feel you're up there, are there some names that you're surprised are not up there in the rafters yet? Well, um, there's always names that could be there. Um, when I say that, uh, it took uh, a while for mine to get there. So it's a, it's a matter of patience. And when I say that, I mean, those that might not be there now, and I don't want to call those names out specifically, I think in due time they will be. Um, if you look at um, uh, the history of uh, how it was done and how things are done, just think about this. It was 20 years ago that they won the national championship in there and that their seasons have been over for a good period of time, you know, a lot of time. So it does take time. Um, and I think it's uh, appropriate that they're there, but it's not something that happens uh, overnight. Uh, it's something that for me, you know, it was a, a good period of time, but you know what you, from my perspective, I always knew what I did in college and I wasn't worried about it going away. Uh, history is what it is. And um, it doesn't, uh, it just shows uh, people that what happened in the past and someone's going to evaluate that in the future for others to be put up there, um, whether it be this year, next year, or years to come. Dennis Duval here speaking on the Jersey retirement for himself, Hakeem Work, as well as Jerry McNamara and what's to come for the future to look at the fact that uh, Dennis and Chris Joseph said it, right before you came on here, I said, why is the brotherhood so strong at Syracuse? His response, because we all had the same coach. What are your thoughts on the brotherhood at Syracuse? And 
does it become such a strong, close-knit family that spans decades because you all have a very unique common denominator, which is Jim Behan? Well, the common denominator is Jim, but uh, it's not only Jim. Um, it's all the rest of us, too. Jim, Jim was a major part of that. Jim wasn't my head coach. Jim was my position coach when I was in college. Yeah. Um, but there was a closeness. He was, he was my coach in terms of my position. But the fact that, you know, Jim played, was in the same role as the rest of us. Jim was a player there. He was part of that Orange family when it all started. I mean, it started long before um, I was there and it started before Jim was there. But the fact that matter, Jim was a major, major influence on the way the program grew over the years. But we're all part of it. And I think Jim recognizes that. I mean, for all those guys that didn't specifically play for for him, uh, he has always, you know, welcomed us and welcomed me and others uh, into the, you know, into this Orange family and kept that going. I think that's the most important part. And I think uh, that we realize what history is. We realize the place that all of us played and the responsibilities we had as Orange men when we played to represent that team and that university. You know, Dennis, like you said, uh, Jim wasn't your head coach. Roy Danforth was, but you had uh, Jim as a, as a position coach. How would you describe him back then as, as an assistant? <laughs> uh, like most coaches, uh, it was a pain, but it was a pain for a reason. You know, he got you, he got you to do what you needed to do. Uh, he's tough. And um, I knew it back then. I knew he was going to be tough as a head coach. But um, things in life don't come easy. Um, and motivation sometimes, you know, everybody gets motivated differently. Um, there's a lot at stake. Um, when people see your talent and they see maybe that they can get more out of your talent and you can get more out of your talent, it takes a lot to sometimes to motivate people uh, to do more than what is expected of them. Coaching is not easy. Um, everyone, you know, there's a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of people that go to games that think they can coach. But I tell you, you sit on a bench, you know, the responsibility for 11 to 12 different players with different personalities, different family backgrounds, different coming from different um, parts of the country. And you got to bring all of that together and you got to oversee all that on a daily basis and you have to be successful. I, well, I say to them, try it sometimes. I try to coach my kids. Uh, 12-year-old basketball team. I had more problems with the parents than I did the kids. But yeah. the fact of the matter, it's just, it's just not that easy. It's just not that easy. And I respect all coaches, whatever sport it is, I respect them all for the hard work it is. It takes to become one thing, to be able to do it, and secondly, to be successful at the level that Jim has done. Yeah, you know, and it, I, back then, I, I know obviously you're a student athlete, and, you know, you're young and, and, you know, going about your life on and off the court. Did you, as a position coach with Jim Beheim, did you see head coach in him? Like you said, he was a pain, but it was worth it. Could you see the, the head coach in him or is, or is that not something that you saw at the time? Well, yeah, I could. And, and I say, you know, I'm qualified when I say about his pain. I, I mean that good coaches, um, create an environment for you to succeed but it isn't always comfortable and it doesn't always have to be comfortable to learn so um a lot of times when we had timeouts um during a game and my coach was saying one thing i would always look over to behind you know before i go on the floor 
because sometimes there were plays that were called, and I was saying to myself, man, we haven't run that all night. Why, why, why not? You know what I mean? And he would just look at me and say, run the play. Go through what you're supposed to go through. And then the next day, we'd have discussions on it. You know what I mean? Why it worked, why it didn't work, you know, and, and what my recommendations were relative to that night and that circumstance. And to me, that's... That's one way of being a coach. But on the same token, he's not just telling, he's listening. Um, I, I don't know what he does now. I'm not sitting in that locker room. So uh, I'm sure he does a lot of lot of things that uh, uh, he's been consistent over the years. Uh, things. But like I said, learning doesn't have to be comfortable all the time. Um, it doesn't have to be, um, coaching doesn't have to be the hand around your, you know, around your back and hugging you. It just, that's probably worse. Especially at that level. Yeah, no, and I love that, you know, because <clears throat> we need that. And I think this world, in a way, has kind of forgotten that, right? You can't, <laughs> you can't just lullaby people into becoming better people. You have to have that tough love and you got to push them. And, you know, so you look at Jim Beheim, 47 years, like you said, he obviously he was a player. He was position coach for you, took over a couple of years after you finished up at Syracuse. And now 47 years later, this man has, he's the only person to do what he's done at one school, over 1,100 wins, final fours in multiple decades, a national championship. He is one of four coaches, and my apologies to Roy Williams here that I had mentioned before, one of four coaches that has one losing season or less in their entire tenure. Roy Williams, Dean Smith, John Wooden, who had zero. And Jim Beheim. So looking at that, Dennis, we live in a world today where many people over the last couple of years, especially, I mean, I've witnessed it for years and so have you, but it seems like this year and last year, there has been a mass influx of people screaming for Jim Beheim to leave. How do you assess everything he's done? And yet here we are with people saying, yeah, we don't want it anymore. Well, that's their opinion. Doesn't mean it's right. I mean, that's their opinion. Um, I, I think that Jim has earned uh, the respect that uh, um, to um, coach, and I'm sure I'm sure there will be a period of time where he'll make that decision collectively. Uh, I'm sure with the university in a way that is appropriate for him. But if I was him, and I, let's put myself in that position, if someone was asking me about my retirement. I'd be offended about it, especially while I'm actively involved in it. Yeah. I mean, just like now in my job right now, someone was asking you about your retirement. When are you retiring? They're basically saying, that, you know, whether it's a reporter, whether it's somebody, it uh, doesn't matter who it is. Some, you know, that, that could be offensive to people, especially when you're trying to work as hard as you are now as you were when you started. Yeah. So um, I think to, to look at from Jim's perspective, um, it would be annoying to me. Yeah. Um, the fact that there is a, a sentiment among certain fans that like to see him gone, that's understandable. Uh, doesn't mean I agree with it. Um, I don't personally agree with it. I think that there, there's a time and place for everything. And I think the fact that what, what he has contributed to the Syracuse basketball program, what he has contributed to the university, and what he has contributed to this community as a whole, between him and his wife and the things that they've done from a philosophic perspective, I think um, give, give him give him that uh, time 
I'm sure he'll make the appropriate decision when he's when it when it comes. But um, you know, why why get in a position to force him out the door? I'm sure between him and the university, they collectively will figure this out, um, and um, we'll go from there. But the fact that when he does leave, he's one of the greatest. Yeah, and I and going off of your point that you just made, Dennis, I posted this yesterday uh, early in the morning because I felt the need to. So I'm going to read everything that I said, and and a lot of it intertwines with what you said. But I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It says. <clears throat> these are my words yesterday morning. Uh, well, I've said those, I've said them before, but here's a concise look at my words. No matter what Jim Beheim does, I want to take a minute to ask you if you'd like someone to come to your job and ask you daily and yearly when you're going to retire and talk about you nonstop for decades. How would you respond to someone constantly asking you to leave your job? I went on to say after that, the reality is Jim Beheim is a prisoner of his own success. He created the standard for Syracuse men's basketball, which in my opinion is 20 plus wins and a sweet 16 or bust every year. If he doesn't get the team there, he's a failure to some because he didn't hit the level he created. But what would Syracuse fans have known as a quote unquote good season if they didn't have him? What happens if and when the next coach doesn't hit the standard of the man you can't wait to get rid of your thoughts. Well, first of all, my thoughts of this, that, you know, being a former player um, and, and not wanting to ever lose uh, anytime you step on the floor, you have to understand the Syracuse community as a whole. We're tough. You know, this is a different fan base. This is from the rest of the country. And we, if you don't acknowledge that first, then you don't understand Syracuse. If you're not winning, they're not there. It's just as simple as that. And, and they have to, all the fans have to look in the mirror and acknowledge that. We're tough. We're different than most places. You know, I, I've said this before in the air, and, and I don't mind repeating this because it's part of history. I lost one home game in four years of college. And that game was an overtime game to Connecticut. And you know what? We got booed when we came off the floor that night. I'll never forget that. But, but you know what? I moved on from it because we had to keep playing. We're tough, and sometimes for the wrong reasons, but we are who we are. So, you know, we have to look in the mirror as fans sometimes and think, uh, you know, are, are we satisfied with what we have, or are we never satisfied? So, um, you know, winning is great, but it's it's uh, being a fan is, is more than just going to the games that you win. Being a fan sometimes is supporting the teams even when they're down, supporting them the same way when they're up and as, as you do when they're down, you know, and sometimes, you know, a lot of fans don't want to do that, and that's their choice. Uh, I personally, when I go to games, I hear a lot of things that I don't want to hear from the fan bases, but I have to accept that. You know, we're all experts when we're sitting in that seat during that game. But if you had to sit on that bench, it'd be a different story. And sometimes we need to think about that when we're critical of the things that are happening in a game. And remember, it's a game. Yeah, you know, and I appreciate that. And thank you for that. I mean, it is true. You know, I mean, this is my hometown and I've, you know, I've been in the dome where Trevor Cooney was booed more than he could have gotten booed at Cameron Indoor. And, you know, I mean, and I've, and I've said to fans there, to me, there's a difference between fans and fanatics. Now fans will be, they can be upset. They can constructively criticize, but they'll always love you. Win, lose or draw, they'll stand up, they'll clap for you. 
they'll try and find the silver lining. Fanatics go to games because their wife hates them and they got out of the house for two hours and they're screaming at Jim Beheim because they can't scream at their wife. So, you know, that is my feeling between fans and fanatics. Internet trolls, people that boo the person that misses the half court shot in the dome, people that like, you know, boo kids, throw snow at Santa Claus, you know, that type of stuff. If you are at a game and a fan is doing a free throw challenge and he misses all of them short and you boo him, you should be ashamed of yourself. (laughs) If you're at a game and it's your home team and your home coach and your home players and you boo them, you should be ashamed of yourself. Now, if the team if Syracuse got in a giant fight with UConn and guys were throwing punches and you booed Syracuse like, guys, you need to be better than that. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an actual game play. You don't boo your coach. You don't boo your team. You don't boo your student athletes. You don't boo the kid that's trying to do the challenge on the court during a two minute break. So to me, there's certain things that shouldn't happen. And that's the difference between fans and fanatics. I've met fans that are frustrated with the 2-3 zone, but they respect Jim Beheim and they want the team to win. And I've met fans that would set their hair on fire and stand outside of Jim Beheim's house and tell him, why can't you put the fire out that's on my head? So, I mean, there's, there's, there's two different types of people. I think fanatics should stay in a bunker in their basement and leave everybody alone. And I think fans should show up. But, you know, I, I find it hard, Dennis, to to, you know, fathom enduring a a hometown crowd booing you, but you said you experienced that as well. Yeah, and and let's let's just talk about the 2-3 zone. Let's talk about it. Most most fans don't even know how it works. They have a clue. All they do is they see and hear what somebody's talking about. They don't understand conceptually what it is and and how it works. It's basically a man-to-man zone. It's basically man-to-man in its own concept with backfills on the backside, just like you would do in a man-to-man. Uh, and without, you know, the problem that they've had recently is that they haven't been playing good defense. Jim has said that many a times. Now, you take last game, you take Wake, the Wake game. They play tremendous defense. They got back in transition. These are all things, whether you're playing man-to-man or you're playing zone, that have to take place in order you to be successful. Being an expert on the two, three zones, there are people all over the country that have copied Jim Beheim's concept in the zone, not only in college basketball, but in in professional basketball. They've implemented that two, three zone based upon Jim's knowledge and based on seeking him out to that. So if it doesn't work and it's not good and you're tired of seeing it, that's fine. But you know, there's a lot of plays that are called. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of identities that teams have based upon their coach and they all have it you accept them or you don't but the fact of the matter um, is there's a lot of games that have been won with that two three zone and and the strategic part of it is when you get up in in points you might not uh it's harder to come back off a zone you have to make shots if i'm going to lose i'm going to lose from people shooting from the outside not inside, not, you know, not driving to the basket. So it puts a lot of pressure on the offense to, to have to make shots. Um, but, you know, a lot of teams never get used to playing against it. So, I, you know, I, we had it when I was in school, uh, when Danforth was the coach. We did a lot of pressing also with that. 
we had a different type of team. So uh, we had a smaller team. Uh, we got up and down the floor a little bit different on the transition, and we, we put pressure uh, differently. So um, to the experts that are out there that don't like the 2-3 zone, all I can tell you is this, is that um, you got to do what works. You got to do what you know how to do, and you, and you recruit players based upon how you want to play. It's just that simple. Well, the thing is, you know, Dennis, I mean, the 2-3 zone, which, I mean, the zone 2-3 uh, as opposed to a 3-2, you know, and, and I've said this before, you know, I've played 2-3, two, 3-2, three, three, two, 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 box and one, man-to-man. I played all different defenses, and being five foot eight, you know, I was always at the top. And most of the time, unless I had a coach that decided I was a power forward, to which I said, I'm not, but thank you. And, uh, so, but, you know, usually on the top of the zone, I mean, I know a zone is set up for a two, three zone is set up for teams that typically don't shoot well from three point range, knowing that teams shoot so well now and that everybody's shooting centers are shooting power forwards are shooting and they'll shoot between the three point line and half court. They don't even care at this point. Do you think that Jim has to evolve and look at some things differently now because the game has evolved? Well, to answer your question, that's the best shooters in the world are in the NBA, correct? I mean, let's just let's just take that for granted. The best shooters in basketball right now in the NBA, and they play zone. So if they can do it, why can't we? The other side of it is this. I think Jim has made some adjustments. But, you know, in terms of what happens on the floor, it's about executing. It's about that team or those, those personnel on the floor. If you're executing properly, most of the time you can defend against those things. Usually it's because of poor execution on whether you're playing man-to-man or you're playing zone. So um, the fact that, yeah, teams have better shooters, teams are shooting from the outside, the forwards and the centers are shooting, but that's throughout basketball at all levels. you got kids in in junior high taking three-pointers. you got kids that shouldn't be taking them, taking them. So that's the world we live in, is three-pointing. The zone isn't obsolete just because people um, have been able to shoot further from out. They've used that, too, to defend there because you can pick them up further out. So the zone can be pushed out a little bit further. So there has been some, you know, to say that Jim Jim needs to adjust, I think Jim has adjusted. But it's a matter of execution for the people that are on the floor sometimes. You've got to pick that guy up. You've got to recognize who's where in those positions, and you have to get out on it. Sometimes that doesn't happen. I mean, I look at the game maybe a little bit differently, you know, um, Going, as it's moving and going along than others. I, I know I can see when someone gets the shot and is repeatedly getting that shot. Um, someone is not getting out on them. Someone is not moving when they're supposed to be moving. So uh, but that's the causation for that for those breakdowns in, in, in the defense. So I look at it a little bit. It'd be the same if they were guarding them on, on man-to-man. If they're not moving their feet, they're not moving along, same thing can happen. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, what you, how you want to look at it. Back coming from Dennis Duvall here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Dennis, a, a final point here. Words of advice to the current Syracuse team. They've gone through this season with seven new faces, six true freshmen, and transfer Munir Hema. Benny Williams has been asked to do more this season. Joe Girard is back in his normal position of shooting guard. There's been a lot of changes. There's been more different than similar from last season to this season. And when I was asked the question, and I mentioned this earlier, when I was asked the question going into the season, 
of, you know, what do you think about Syracuse? How good are they going to be? I said, nobody can answer that question with full truth. And people look at you and I said, there's no way that anybody can sit here and tell you that seven true, that six true freshmen and a transfer are going to come in and do any of this. Most of them have never played together before. Six of them have never played a college basketball game. Munir Hima is coming on to a different team. And Joe is going to a position that he used to play at. So he's got a shift there. Benny's got more that he's being asked to do. There's no way that anybody can come to you and tell you on paper what this team is going to look like because how could you possibly know with so many new variables on the team? So with that being said, do you agree or disagree that, that this was going into the season, there was really no true way to assess them until they played? And then secondly, what are your thoughts on the team right now? Well, my thought on the team, sir, well, certainly I agree with the, uh, of, of your uh, perception of, of how this team was going to be this year. It, it was going to be difficult to begin with. Um, uh, it's not an easy uh, situation when you got all new players, young players that come in and even understand, you know, um, what happens in the course of a season to begin with. The second thing is, is that right now they're playing for pride. And, and that was demonstrated to me the other night at the, uh, at the weight game. Th- those guys played with pride and um, they didn't give up. They were, you know, they're aggressive. But, you know, throughout the season, I, I didn't see any give up on them. Yeah, they lost some games. They lost some games. Young teams lose games. Young teams make mistakes down the stretch. And, and that happens. That's why they don't win a lot of games. But the fact of the matter is, I think next year they'll be even better. I think it takes time. I think Jim knew. I mean, he, he's never someone to, to um, give you a forecast of how good the season is going to be to begin with. But the expectation, like you said, shouldn't have been there that they were going to be this great team. Um, and I think it takes a while to adjust. It takes a while to understand the system and, and to be uh, comfortable in it. Um, but the most thing that I saw the other night when I was at the game, and I've been watching the games, is that they played with pride. And I think that going, you know, ending your season is to play for the pride of your, your teammates and, and for the pride of the university and the school. And play as hard as you can, you know what I mean, to, to uh, end your season in a positive note going to next year, which is just as important as this year. Um, I think if people understand that and accept that as, as fans, they'll appreciate what they did this year even more. Um, and I think that um, the future holds a different story for them. But um, I, I like what I saw, and, uh, and I do appreciate how they played. Yeah, that coming from Dennis Duvall here as this team has new life in a new season as we step into championship week in the ACC tournament. I am down here in Greensboro, North Carolina, covering 15 schools in five days. No matter what happens, I'll be here with you. And no matter what happens, the Syracuse Orange basketball alumni will be as well. Dennis, as always, I appreciate your time. I'm happy that your jersey is up there in the rafters, and I'm happy to uh, to have you on the show as we always do, and and to call you a friend. So thank you for always answering my phone calls and being there, and and thank you for everything that you bring to the table. I really do appreciate you, and I appreciate the way you break down the game. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to speak to the fans and uh, go Cubs. And coming from Dennis Duval. Thank you, sir. I'll talk with you soon. Yeah. Take care. That coming from Dennis once again here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports truly 
meets that thing called life. We'll take a step aside for a fast break here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. We'll be back with the ingredients to success, which will focus on the New York Giants. Today is franchise tag day. What are they going to do? We'll talk about it right after this on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. Avicoli's, located on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road in Liverpool, New York, has been your trusted neighbor for decades. Located just steps from Liverpool High School, we're happy to have the Liverpool Warriors on-site, on-location broadcast at Avicoli's through Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora every single month, featuring student-athletes, coaches, and administration throughout the year from Liverpool High School. Head out to Avicoli's today on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road in Liverpool, New York, open Tuesday through Sunday for lunch, dinner, and drinks. We'd love to see you out there. And of course, you can call them at 315-622-5100 for takeout, delivery, and catering. That's 315-622-5100. And also find them on myavicolis.com. That's myavicolis.com. Having peace of mind when you're out of town, that your furry-loving friend is safe and sound, means taking them to Canine Campground. Because we all know that when it comes to the love of our pets, it goes well beyond the call of duty to make sure they're safe and sound. Right, Lily? So take a ride to 242 Johnson Street in East Syracuse, New York, and see Canine Campground and where your dog will be staying in the classic cabin, the executive cabin the Grand Cabin, or of course, the Luxury Cabin, because if you know Lily, you know she loves luxury. (laughs) Now you don't have to wait to the last minute to find a family member or a friend that'll take your dog for a few days. Call Canine Campground at 315-299-4013. That's 315-299-4013. Their drop-off and pick-up times are Monday through Sunday. Check Canine campground.com for more information that's the letter k the number nine and campground spelled with a k.com k9campground.com when you're going out of town bring your dog to canine campground PB&J's Lunchbox, the food truck that you love finding all throughout Central and Upstate New York, now has a street-side cafe. So when you're craving their traditional favorites as well as their out-of-box amazing menu items, you can now head to 663 Old Liverpool Road in Liverpool, New York, located just minutes from the highway, the thruway, Destiny USA, and Onondaga Lake Parkway. PB&J's Lunchbox street-side cafe is there for you Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., serving breakfast, lunch, and and dinner all throughout the day. Get breakfast for dinner, dinner for lunch, whatever you fancy, including their award-winning grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Find them at 663 Old Liverpool Road in Liverpool, New York. PB&J's Lunchbox, where we love to know what's in your lunchbox. This is a special message from 317 at Montgomery restaurant owner Joel Carpenter. Open Tuesday through Saturday for your dining pleasure on 317 Montgomery Street in Syracuse, New York. We wanted to be a part of the resurgence of Syracuse. We saw uh, a lot of money being put into bringing people back downtown and thought that, you know, we'd like to be a part of that. 
I love putting together a good dish where people see it first, they fall in love with it, and then it tastes just as good as it looks. We want to provide the best food in Syracuse that we possibly can, and we want you to leave here talking to your family, your friends about what you had to eat first and foremost, but also our service and to walk out feeling like you're part of our family. I work out in the front of the house a lot, and I love walking to every single table, asking them how everything is, and people looking at me and smiling and saying, this is the most amazing short rib I've ever had. This is the most amazing filet.